Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to How to Use CBT for Anger Management, a seven-step process to free clients from anger, plus three useful CBT techniques. And as Mark Twain said, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. And I half agree with my namesake, but make no mistake, anger can inflict grievous and irreparable damage to other people as well. Legend has it that the distance between opposing political parties who face one another adversarially in the British House of Commons is 3.96 metres. Why? Because back in the day, this was the equivalent of two swords lengths. Back then, members of Parliament carried swords, but murder was not on the menu. It was thought that having the gap would give enraged members of Parliament time enough to think before murderously acting upon their rage. They might get to finally think before fatally skewering the opposition. The raging red mist can certainly come upon us with rapier-like swiftness, which begs a question. What comes first, thought or feeling? Anger is a trance state. I recall a client who would become enraged at her boyfriend whenever he seemed to transgress her impossibly tight strictures as to what was right and wrong. Normally shy and demure, amazingly, one day when in a local shopping mall, she began screaming and yelling at him. After a time, when she awakened from this anger trance, she was mortified to suddenly notice a crowd had gathered to watch her tantrum. She had zoned out and everything outside of her rageful focus had disappeared. A trance state is a narrowed focus in which reality is perceived in very selective and limited ways. Self-consciousness disappears and in the case of extreme anger, so do any thoughts of consequence. Other people's perspectives can't be appreciated during this state of consciousness. And we can be clicked into anger before we even have time to think And because anger, like all strong emotions, works faster than the speed of thought, see reference one, it might seem strange to write about cognitive techniques for anger management, because anger tends to fly quicker than the speed of thought. After all, people often don't think when the rage comes upon them. And that's the point and the problem. When the emotions hijack the brain, thoughts are often not involved until later on. But cognitive techniques that help people think and stay out of the anger trance can beautifully augment non-cognitive techniques. We just have to make sure we use these techniques alongside each other. But first, let's look at what anger makes us do. The motion in the ocean of emotion. So we have emotions to get us moving. Okay, The motion in emotion Many emotions compel us away from the source of the feeling. Fear, terror, reluctance, and disgust urge you to move away from the source of these emotions. Other emotions compel us towards the object of our feeling. Lust, greed, addiction, and yes, anger 
do just that. When doing therapy, we often find that people who suffer from away from emotions, such as fears and phobias, are more motivated to change than those experiencing towards emotion problems, such as addiction and anger. And indeed, anger can be quite seductive for the person who falls under its spell. A strange seduction. Anger, like lust, is an energizing and focusing feeling. It might save our life as the fight part of the survival mechanism. It might help us right wrongs and stand up for ourselves as long as we can channel it effectively. Anger has power and power is compelling. When we're angry, the world with all its ambiguities and complexities is beautifully simplified. Daunting doubt is vaporized and replaced by delicious and unequivocal certainty. We're energized and we feel stronger, even indomitable. Certainly loss of self-consciousness, instant attention and feelings of power can become quite addictive for the angry person. So make no mistake, anger can be a real buzz because it's a toward emotion. But if your client does need motivation to vanquish their anger, or at least bring it to heel, you can remind them of the following. It's a deadly seduction. Chronic anger is a danger not just to the victim of rage, but also to the enraged person themselves. And the danger extends well beyond the relationships that can be destroyed and the careers that could be ruined by anger. Modern research into health and mortality has found that releasing extreme anger is just as damaging to the heart and immune function as keeping it in or bottling it up. See reference two. And of course, millions of people lie dead or traumatized because other people chose to express rather than suppress their anger. Getting very angry very often is a bigger predictor of early death through heart disease than smoking, bad diet, and lack of exercise put together. Even recalling times you felt very angry in the past can be dangerously bad for the heart. See reference three. Uncontrolled and excessive anger also makes us make mistakes, sometimes major ones. Anger makes us dumb. A client of mine, a highly intelligent man, uh, had done some, by his own admission, incredibly stupid things whilst he'd been enraged. While teaching in a school, he had hurled a chair through a window to the horror and incredulity of his pupils. A stupid thing to do, but strong emotional arousal stops us thinking straight in the moment. Effectively, we are stupider when enraged. This is known as an emotional hijacking. So before getting cognitive with your angry client, you may need to take a vital first step. First, deal with the feeling before we get to the thoughts. The trigger-happy anger response will kick in faster than thought through the process of pattern matching. So you'll need to deal with the automaticity of the emotional response before you deal with the thoughts that go with it. We can help our clients prepare for the anger so as to be better able to catch it before a spark turns into a blaze. So rehearse with the client, starting to feel angry, then breathing deeply and longer on the way out, or on the exhalation. And you can teach your angry clients to stop, focus on their breath, inhale to the quick count of seven in their mind, slowly exhale to the quick count of 11 in their mind. And this is the famous 7-11 technique. And it's during the exhalation that the parasympathetic nervous system, the relaxation response, becomes triggered. That's why people sigh when they're exasperated or stressed, because it's nature's way of 
calming things down with the exhalation. It'll take around 60 seconds to calm down using this kind of breathing. Once your client is calm again, they'll notice they can also think again and focus on possible consequences, both for others and for themselves, of losing it. As As well, we can also use a rewiring technique, such as emotional blueprint exchange, which can also quickly derail the old pattern and help form a new one. So the emotional blueprint exchange. To really help with anger, we need to know how to work directly with the instinctual or unconscious brain in order to exchange the old pattern for one that works better for everyone. We can get a small sample of the anger state in the session. This is usually pretty easy as angry people are good at getting angry just by recalling a time when they were angry. So we might ask them to uh, uh, firstly briefly recall a time when they felt really angry, just ask them to close their eyes for 10 seconds or so and recall that time for no more than 10 seconds. And two, open their eyes and tell us how they felt. Invariably, they'll have uh, felt something of the original feeling. Three, consider that they can re-experience that time in a really interesting way and actually learn something about that time. Four, ask them to close their eyes again. And this time, recall that time calmly from the outside. Viewing a memory from a third person position tends to instantly lower the emotional arousal around the memory. Five, notice certain aspects of that time they'd never noticed before, perhaps about their own facial expressions or the other person's uh, expressions or people who were there. And we're seeking to engage their thinking brain by calm, calming the emotional centers and encouraging detached observation. Six, open their eyes and describe the difference in recalling that memory in that way. This often feels like quite a revelation to them. Seven, go back to the third person observer position and again watch that out of date time. But this time, imagine how it could have been had the anger not got the better of your client. In this way, you help them create an alternative emotional blueprint. After that, do plenty of relaxed mental rehearsal of all the kinds of times that would previously have gotten your client angry. And if you don't know how to work directly with the instinctive mind, consider learning mindfulness or better still hypnosis as a way of upping this vital therapeutic skill. So work to calm the emotional mind before working with the cognitive mind. Once you feel you've calmed the automatic um, emotional pattern match, you can use these three cognitive techniques. So technique one, remove the anger from their core personality or core identity. We all know the limited uses as well as the limiting dangers of labeling. When working with anger clients, we often find their combative and ready to fight or to stick up for themselves much of the time. And we can use this contrariness in the way we talk about and encourage them to think about the anger itself. So for example, we might ask them uh, questions such as, how has that anger, rather than your anger, how is that anger separate from them, try to spoil things for you? How does it, the anger, push you around? How will you know when you've effectively stood up to that anger? So they're not the anger, and they can start to stand up to it. Chronic anger steals health, relationships, dignity, and even professions from people. And this is not to say that they're they're not responsible for their anger, but it is to say that we can distinguish the part of them that wants to moderate their anger from the anger itself. We need to enlarge the part of them 
that isn't the anger and make it more powerful. And you can get quite creative with this and ask them uh, what the anger would look like and sound like. One woman told me the anger was like a spoilt little five-year-old girl who had uh, to have her own way all the time regardless of other people. Okay, I asked her what she could start saying to that little girl to help her grow up. But we also need to consider what might lie behind the anger. So technique two, identify your client's needs. Emotions are signals. Okay, Anger is a signal that we need to fight, or we feel we need to fight. And the trouble is the signal can be faulty. An alarm can go off where there's no real threat at all. Teach your client about the primal human emotional needs and how when they're not met healthily, they may be met in ways that harm the client and other people in their life. Anytime they feel a little angry, encourage them to ask themselves just what it is they feel they're not currently getting. Okay, why am I angry? What do I feel I should be getting that I'm not getting? One woman started doing this and realized she became enraged when she felt she wasn't getting enough attention. She learned to start pinpointing the missing need and get attention more effectively. So in a sense, the need for the anger disappeared. It suddenly seemed absurd to become so enraged just because I felt I wasn't getting all the attention. I should be like a toddler, she said to me. And she found other ways to get attention and also learned to be content with less attention sometimes. And of course, anger may be fully justified. But by clearly identifying which need isn't being met, we can at least give ourselves space and also think about what might be the best way to meet that need, or even whether it's valid to meet that need right now or not. Okay, We take the steering wheel of emotional responsiveness a bit more. So really looking at people's needs, the primal human emotional needs. Angry people, they need to learn to be assertive rather than just threatening, and also to start to develop boundaries with themselves by setting limits on their own behaviors or that anger. And lastly, we can help them view angry thinking from the outside so as to gain more control of thoughts that are produced by and in turn produce anger. So technique three, help them stop thinking like a tyrant. Now we know that depressed, anxious and angry people think in absolutist terms. See reference four. They use terms like completely, utterly, always and absolutely. This is sometimes called black or white or all or nothing thinking, and it's invariably seen in the language of depressed people. Suicidal people use the most absolutist language of all, the most extremist language. See reference five. So you might have also noticed that media news outlets are quite keen on on emotionality and emotionally arousing absolutisms, and emotive speakers use plenty of them all the time. Something's completely this or completely that. Angry people are often all or nothing in their approach to reality. All or nothing thought happens more and more the more emotional we become. So the closer we are to the all or nothing state of fight or flight, the more our thinking will align to that emotional state and reflect that state. Fight or flight is all or nothing. So strong emotion makes us think in absolutist terms. But absolutist terms, in turn, make us more emotional. A great way to help people struggling with anger is to learn to help them to learn to be less all or nothing or absolutist in their thinking and to ask Socratic questions. So questions that require a nuanced, non-absolutist answer to help them start thinking more along those lines. 
okay, and develop that part of themselves. Questions like, can it ever be the case that a person can feel offended even though no offence was intended? Do people, do you suppose, ever have the feeling they're totally in the right when they're enraged, but later, once they've calmed down, actually see some aspects of the other person's point of view? Is that possible, do you think? Can a really intelligent person sometimes do dumb things? We can describe the nature of absolutist thinking to our anger clients and the internal, rigid but brittle rules it creates, which can be easily but unknowingly broken by other people who can't actually read our minds. Being able to see the bigger picture or other pictures can dissipate anger and other emotional trance states that rely on limited and rigid perceptions for their maintenance. So we could first of all amplify the motivation of our angry clients by remembering and reminding them of how physically damaging anger is for them and not just if they get into fights. And we can help the client on the emotionally automatic pattern matching level by helping change the emotional blueprint. We can help them see the anger as separate from who they are by the way we speak about it and have them think about it. Okay, removing it from their core identity. We can work to help the client get their emotional needs met in civilized, strategic ways, and we can help them think more subtly in shades other than just black or white, all or nothing. Anger is not good or bad, but it needs to be contextualized, useful, and because of its health and other implications, infrequent. I'll leave the last words to the Greek philosopher Aristotle. Anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power and is not easy. But it is possible. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. That's unk.com slash blog.